Hey you, yes you, thanks for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild and Free podcast. My name is David Benjamin, I'm your host and the founder of HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you're like me, you understand that health, the mind-body-spirit-heart connection, and living a green, eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle are some of the most valuable and life-enhancing lessons that we can learn and pass on to our children to live happy and abundant lives. That's why this podcast was created, to help you grow in these areas. If you aren't already subscribed to the newsletter, go to HealthyWildAndFree.com, click the box at the top right-hand corner to get a free copy of our latest ebook, and you will be subscribed to be notified about future podcasts. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, podcast listeners. This is David Benjamin, your Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast host. Today, I'm going to be having a special guest on the show that is going to be discussing uh, psychology, the mind, uh, how movement plays a role in the development of our minds, and uh, how we can basically move into life and uh, have vitality and uh, kind of variation and robustness, if you will, in our lives. She's the author, her name is Anat Banyal, she's the author of Move Into Life, as well as Kids Without Limits. And uh, in her book, she talks about the nine essentials for lifelong vitality and uh, just, like I said, kind of about movement psychology and how to uh, use them to your advantage in life as opposed to uh, kind of becoming an automatic robot in life. Uh, She was trained as a clinical psychologist, dancer, and was the first student of then a close professional associate, Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais, I hope I said that right, for over a decade. Anat's innovative methods have helped thousands of people, both adults and children, from five days old to 90 years old, transforming their lives physically, emotionally, and intellectually. Her work has helped performance athletes, musicians, business people, scientists, as well as other professionals move beyond their present limitations to achieve greater energy, strength, health, and success. Her cutting-edge approach helped uh, many people from all walks of life, and uh, especially children with special needs. Her work, her work is world-renowned and is applauded by parents, health professionals, and those at the cutting edge and the neurosciences. Increasing numbers of leading brain scientists, medical doctors, and others in the helping professions are enthusiastically endorsing the Anat Daniel method. So uh, I'm going to bring her on the call right now. And Anat, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, David. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing terrific. How about you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And thank you so much for being on the show with us. We really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to start the interview kind of how I'm I'm typically starting all interviews now and ask you, how did you initially kind of get into health and uh, psychology and, and understanding the human body? What kind of brought you down that path in the first place? Well, uh, you know, I, I, my, Specifically, I mean, I just I I grew up and I, I did a lot of dance and I also did some music and I went to college and it looked at what uh, I might want to study and decided that it was psychology and then uh, I did that for undergrad and also I was interested in the sciences and for uninteresting reasons really I ended up studying also getting a degree in statistics which. Um, a, it has informed me in many ways in my work, even though it doesn't sound related to psychology or human experience. And um, 
And then uh, I went into clinical psychology, uh, and there is when I realized that for me, I wanted to work more with the human brain and with movement and with the immediacy of people's experience and rely less on words and interpretation uh, as the main mechanism to try and induce change, even though therapy can be very, very wonderful and useful. And uh, along the way, um, again, I, I had the experience of his work from early childhood, but I looked for how to do that because, you know, I was very young and I was in college and I was thinking, okay, I want to do something different and what would that be? And I tried a number of things and and uh, dr- drama therapy and uh, dance therapy and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it was all great but not what I wanted. And then I remembered my work with uh, with my dance teacher that used the work of Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais. By the way, you kind of stumbled a little on the name. So it's he, Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais who, who was a uh, – it's okay. It's an unusual, weird name. And uh, – he is the was the foremost, uh, not just movement scientist, but uh, the the father, kind of like uh, way ahead of his time in terms of uh, brain plasticity. That means looking to impact the brain and brain change uh, intentionally, and thinking of it from the point of view of brain. It wasn't that clear, and he didn't speak much about it. But that's where. He lived. That's where he came from. He was a physicist. He was a quantum physicist. So, um, so that's how it, I went to study with him, and I continued parallel to that my studies in psychology. And initially, I thought that I was going to adopt or adapt some of his work into more classical psychotherapy. And as I studied it more, I moved away from even considering being a traditional psychotherapist and started utilizing the knowledge I got from him to uh, help empower and impart outcomes that very often psychotherapy is looking to impart. And here I am today talking to you. Very cool. I like how something so creative as dance kind of led you down that path. Um, A lot of things in life are like that. In your book, you... In your book, you talk about the the Anat Banyal method. Now, what for our listeners that haven't heard of this before, uh, what is the Anat Banyal method, kind of in a nutshell? In a nutshell, it's using movement as the main tool, but not movement like exercise, but movement in the broadest sense, combined with my, you know, nine essentials, as a mechanism to help create new patterns new connections in the brain that open up new possibilities in movement, in emotional, in the emotional aspect of our lives, cognitively, really help us grow. And I think it's important for me to mention uh, that I started working with adults in my main population, beginning were dancers and musicians because of my background. But, uh, again, along the way, it so happened that I started working with children with special needs and working with children as young as a few days old and all the way through, you know, a few months and a few years, I have seen, uh, you know, over and over again how movement and the feelings, the sensations that movement generates 
for us, what we feel as we move, and the attention, the, the, uh, the, how much it's in the, really the basis of everything. It's the basis of organization, of voluntary movement, and it's in the basis of a cognitive development, and I can, of course, give examples if you're interested, and, and the social and the development of identity, of the sense of self. So I've, from my work with children, my work with adults, I extracted uh, ways to really influence, where, move us from where we are to where we would like to be. Or the way uh, I like uh, to call it is either making the impossible possible or moving from the no to the yes. So somebody says, I can't do that, or I'm doing it but it hurts me, or uh, whatever it is. And we say, okay, that's fine. Now let's do a number of uh, interventions that all, always involve also what people call physical movement. And very often, quickly, and sometimes it takes a number of steps, people get there. I see. In your book, you talk a lot about moving with attention and intention. Uh, why Why is moving with attention and intention uh, important to us, and how does that benefit us? Actually, I don't put attention and intention together. I uh, because uh, the let's put it this way: that eighty uh, percent of the connections that our brain will form throughout life is, are formed within the first five years of life. Uh, I, I tend to go back to the scientific and the facts because I think they really matter. And that and the babies when they move in the beginning, it's actually random movements, it's unintentional movements. So mm-hmm. an intention is extremely important. It's not that intention is not important. However, the, the first and foundational uh, essential that I talk about is movement with attention. It, intention is a separate conversation, and that attention is to the feeling of self. That means what you feel as you move. And the importance of that, and uh, uh, and people, you know, when babies are healthy and they're just like in their crib or in your arms and they're just kind of having those jerky little movements in the beginning and they do whatever, people just don't, it's just normal, right? But those babies feel, they actually are very attentive to what they sense and feel as they move. And research shows, brilliant research uh, it shows that uh, that when we move, uh, it was done on on apes. When they moved and did not actually, the, their attention was moved away from the movement they were doing. So they separated the attention from the movement and got the movement to be more automatic. A uh, there was no there, there was no detectable change in terms of new connections, new mapping in the brain. And when they moved with attention, they had to actually pay attention to what they feel as they move. The brain grew at an extremely rapid rate. And another set of research studies uh, with children, but I believe from my observations working with adults, that it's roughly the same, that when uh, the children pay attention or when we pay attention to what we feel, Feel as we move. It's almost the opposite of how a lot of fitness exercises are done and so on. 
when we pay attention to what we feel as we move, the brain creates, on the average, estimated 1.8 million new connections per second. So it's about 100 million a minute. So um, that's why. <laughs> I didn't talk about wow. it as well. <laughs> that's a lot of connections. <laughs> it's a lot. I, I feel I like mean, it's just- a, a, Go ahead. I feel like a super genius just hearing that. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you know, it's it, it, one has to understand that the brain works in the billions, right? In the trillions of connections, and 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 so it's large numbers the system. It's 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 not very few, and of those, some will stay and some won't stay, and 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 it's very dynamic. The brain is. Uh, extreme, in certain ways, extremely changeable. In other ways, it's very hard to change patterns, but in certain ways, extremely changeable, extremely responsive to its own experience. So, so um, we need to create conditions that the brain can actually create something new, and something new is created with new information. And when we bring atten- attention to our movement, the brain gets a lot of information. Okay. Attention to uh- what we feel. Right, and that and that kind of does that basically that just allows our our brains to kind of expand upon that movement, if you will, and kind of develop the neural pathway, if you will, to that. Or how how would you explain that? Uh, well, it's interesting because we don't do just one movement. So mm-hmm. when we move and pay attention to the movement, first of all, the brain recognizes it more, mm-hmm. pay attention to what we feel, and creates connections, maps what we do. But it maps it in a very rich way, and the, the, this essential is not a standalone essential. But what we do is we do other movements. This is a very important. Of course, all the essentials are very important. It's kind of like having nine children, and every time I talk about one of those kids, it's my favorite kid, right? So, so variation is another way of providing a lot of information to the brain. So, when I work with people, let's say somebody uh, uh, can't. Uh, touch their toes and they want to be able to touch their toes. The normal way that people would try to do that is they would stand up and they would go, oh, oh, you know, and try to stretch the short muscles and try to touch their toes. Uh, If you work with movement with people, you realize that it pretty much doesn't work for most people. Sometimes it works for certain reasons, but it it doesn't work or doesn't work well, and if you don't keep pulling at it for a little bit, you won't be able to do it again. So so um, uh, what I would do with people is I would uh, ask them to move only in the range that's comfortable, no stretching in my world, because uh, I want the brain to change the way it, what it tells the muscles to do so it wouldn't need to stretch the muscles. I mean, if you do it well, if you do it well organized, there's no need to stretch the muscles. The muscles that are too short let go. So then you reach your toes. So, so, but I won't just say, so I'd first of all have them bend, then I'll have them do a small varia- another movement that's sort of around the theme, and then another one, and then another one, and usually within, you know, one, two, three minutes, people touch their toes, because the brain is incredibly potent under the right conditions. It's always potent, it just depends if it goes in the direction we want it to go or not. <laughs> It's right. potent going the wrong direction. It's potent going the right direction, you know. Which can work in our favor or against our favor. E- um, exactly, exactly. You talk about, uh, well, let me actually add on to that real quick. When it comes to touching our toes, for example, for some people, it, when they 
try to touch their toes. It will feel forceful. So is that kind of a psychological thing that they've kind of developed over time, like an automatic uh, neural pathway or, or kind of way of viewing things, and then that's why it becomes harder over time? Well, I think yes, and I think that maybe we can just separate it a little bit there. Um, people, we learn to act certain ways, right? We, we develop uh, habits. And again, they're all, I mean, there's the genetics and there's this, and there's an enormous play for the experience. And um, and when we uh, either, well, if I go really, if I go a little deeper, children, very young children are what I call not very refined or undifferentiated. It's not like anything is wrong with them, but it just takes time for the brain to differentiate into finer and finer combinations. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a one-year-old can't thread a needle because they, they don't have a refined enough movement ability. It's not like anything is wrong with their brain. If you give them a, a, a marker and you give them a piece of paper, it, if they're at an age where they can even recognize that it's something they can do something with, it'll be very abrupt kind of a, forceful, they will press into the paper. They can't uh, do a circle. They can't follow a circle. It's just not enough maturity in the brain. And maturity means enough differentiation and a refinement. So so uh, when a child wants to make something move, you know, and that's the initial in learning how we learn the world, is we use more force. We push it. We pull it. We yank on it, you know. Most people don't develop much past that level of exchange with the universe. So when something doesn't work, we tend to use more force. That's just a developmental thing. And when it comes to physical exercise, whether it's touching the toes or whether it's running faster or whether it's lifting weights, there is a lot of evidence that when you use more force, you get more outcome. The problem is when you use more force as a mechanism to get better, you lose the opportunity to figure out how to do it better. You lose the opportunity to refine what your brain does. And that's, for me, one of the main reasons that most people never get to do most of the physical activity they tried well, or they fail and they give up. Not because they're not strong enough, not because they're not smart enough, not because they're not talented. It's because they go about it too forcefully. So one of my essentials is what I call subtlety. You reduce the force in everything you do emotionally. I don't know, every human being pretty much has had an argument with somebody or a fight with a loved one or trying to get your teenager to do, you, you sound very young. Uh, I don't know if you are or not, but you sound young, so I doubt you have a teenager yet, right? Am I correct? Not, not yet, no. No, exactly. So... So, but if when you have, if you have, when you have a teenager, you'll see that the inclination of the parent and the teenager is to butt heads. So maybe you remember how you were when you were a teenager. Right? Oh, I do, and I've, I've worked with kids before, so I'm well aware. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, and and it's a natural initial reaction, but the if you back off. You start bringing variation, you move not just your body, but your emotions and your mental, that means cognitive thought movement, 
and you pay attention to your thoughts, and then you reduce the force behind your emotions. You reduce the force that you bring into the conversation or the rigidity that you bring to your thought patterns, which is a form of thought for a form of forcing for thinking. Thinking forceful thinking equates with rigid, you know, and emotionally loaded, you know, thinking. All of a sudden, the teenagers become a lot, a lot nicer people. Right on the spot. I've worked with tons of them. They become so amenable. I mean, I work with kids on the autism spectrum. I work with people that nobody seems to know how to reach. But you use those essentials in their brains like are having a party. They just start feeling themselves. They start knowing who they are. It's really remarkable. So reduction of force is an incredibly potent way to break through and discover new possibilities. So let's say if you can't touch your toes and I take you through a little process and then you touch your toes, you don't know what, how it's going to change. You don't know because you don't know because you haven't been there. But your brain figures it out. So that, so that's how I work. I rely on the brain. Once I give it, flood it with new information or facilitate for the person to flood their brain with new information, they find the solution. I like it because mm. I wouldn't know how to do it otherwise. It sounds kind of like uh, an almost like an unconscious form of learning. Is that kind of how you you describe it? Yes. I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, the process is very deliberate. Mm -hmm. The process is very very deliberate, but the change is spontaneous. So when I train people, I say you cannot control the outcome, and we take people on, you know, that fly from all over the world, and and so we we are willing to basically promise a very high likelihood of, you know, desirable outcomes. Let's put it this way. But we can't tell them this will be the outcome or uh, the, the first day you'll see this, the second day you'll see this. We actually are surprised with the specific outcomes as much as the parents or the adults that come to us or the musicians or the athletes. They come back to us and report to us what changes they have experienced. I see the changes as they were. I feel and see and witness changes. But how it will translate in terms of what they'll think or dream or what movement they'll be able also to do, you know, one person, actually it wasn't even me, but one of my colleagues that I've trained taught a workshop last weekend in Esalen. And one of the guys there who's like probably his 40s or early 50s or something like that, this is something that, was told to me, but it just happened last weekend, so it's an example that's fresh in my mind. He did one day of the workshop and went out and ran for the first time since a few years. He had some kind of injury and pain. He couldn't run. And he woke up in the morning and he felt that he was doing really well and decided to try it and he could run and he was fine. He said actually he ran better than he remembered ever running. Because his whole organization shifted, and then when he plugged running in, it worked a lot better. So the the process is deliberate. What my colleague did and taught, we actually discussed it before it went down. It was very, very deliberate. Another person, a woman there, was with her partner, and she's a singer. But she's never sung to him because she, she felt he would maybe judge her. And... For the first time, she just took her guitar and sang to him. I wouldn't have even known that she, or in this case my colleague, didn't even know that she doesn't do it. 
He didn't even know that there was an issue. But that's what she used. That's how she used all these new possibilities in her system. Hmm. Sounds like there's something psychologically, if you will, well, it is psychologically, that uh, kind of restrains us and that kind of holds us back. And and your work helps to kind of unravel and uh, unwire or rewire, if you will, uh, the pathways in our brain. Uh, You talked about... Uh, neurogenesis and, and kind of the production of new brain cells is is the movement with attention does that kind of produce new brain cells to allow this kind of uh, this change to take place? Uh, I don't know if it produces new brain cells, but I know it produces mm-hmm. new connections, and okay. connections can form very very quickly. Whether it produces new brain cells or not, I have no idea. No, I'm not aware of anybody checking movement with attention to what one feels and the. Uh, creation of new cells per se I, I don't know if research I, I work I have my idea of how the brain works and what how to feed it the informa- or help it generate information it needs and then I watch the results and I say they're very very reliable and predictable that there will be change and 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 always change from less refinement to more refinement from less freedom to more freedom from less creativity to more creativity, that, that's across the board always the case. The specific contents change from person to person, but whether new cells in, you know, literally new cell bodies are formed, I have no idea. But I do know that new cell connections are formed very rapidly. I just told you about the research earlier, and there's lots of other research that shows that. Right, which is obviously beneficial for increasing the capacity of, of what you can do in your life. Uh, what steps can we take to kind of turn on our, our learning switch uh, and invoke a sense of organic, unconscious learning beyond moving with attention and kind of uh, using less force? Like, what other things can, what other kind of tools well, can we uh, use? Uh, yeah, so for, first of all, all the essentials really light up the brain. Uh, um, and I'll talk about the learning switch in a second, but I think maybe for people who like to understand, and you sound like somebody who likes to understand things, the brain, I think it's, uh, at least for now, pretty safe to think of the brain as an information system. So if you think about the the muscles and the bones, you know, the moving body, you can think of it more as a mechanical system. The brain is an information system. And and it works, you know, basically puts order in the disorder and makes sense out of the nonsense, right? So it, 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 all the stimulation, everything comes in through the senses and through the joints and all that stuff. And then the brain has to make sense out of it, to put some order in it. And if you've ever seen anybody who's really drunk, <laughs> that you don't even have to go into brain damage, or somebody you know that is uh, has had uh, brain trauma, or you you see the, how important the brain is. That's what the brain does. The question then becomes: How do we provide the brain with information? And the brain, most people equate stimulation with information. So you worked with kids. What kind of kids did you work with? I worked at a what kids did you camp. Do? As a kid Sorry? camp counselor. Uh, camp counselor at a kids' camp. Oh, camp counselor, that's great. So you had a yeah. lot of kids and you saw a lot of variation and, you know, lots, they're very different one from the other. And some yeah. kids get it quickly and other kids kind of seem lost. And, you know, you see you see a lot of permutation of how kids can be. 
But people think that, you know, if a kid can't talk, you have to take a, bra- a toothbrush and, and brush the tongue to help them learn to talk. And that's uh, the example I give because that's the example that got me to realize that's a huge mistake. I mean, I didn't do it, but they brought me a kid that it was done to. And I, and I, and I realized not only it's not helping this kid to learn how to talk, when they do this very unpleasant, forced, st- intense stimulation through the tongue, the, the kid has to dissociate, he has to shut down because he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, it's just too much, it's too intense. Mm-hmm. And it goes nowhere, it, it, it's meaningless. So, and I realized that really stimulation in its own right is not enough. The information is when the brain perceives the difference. So, if I don't perceive, don't see, don't perceive the difference between red and green. I don't see red, I don't see green, and I don't see color. I don't have the distinction of color. So I don't know color. If I don't feel the difference between moving my back one way and moving my back another way, then I don't have control really or good control or refined control as how to move my back, including when I want to touch my toes. Excuse me, I'm going to cough here for a second. <clears throat> so what, what is important, and that's in a, um, then I'm going to give you a lot of practical stuff, is to, for, to create conditions that help the brain perceive differences. Whenever you want to get better at something, start looking to create activity that will help you Perceive differences. So music is a great example. Some people say they're tone deaf. Well, they're tone deaf if they don't hear the difference between one tone and another. And if you understand that, unless they are deaf deaf, you can teach them to hear the difference. It is a, and, and, and we'll talk about how you do this kind of stuff. Why is it important? Because the learning switch is an essential the, the brain itself is either in a learning mode or not in a learning mode. So I'll give you an extreme example. If you are exhausted, you worked 14, 16 hours really, really hard, and, and um, I don't know, whatever else, and you haven't eaten for hours and so on, probably your learning switch is off, both biochemically and in terms of your brain's ability to to even pay attention to stuff, you know, you need to sleep, you need to rest, you need to refresh yourself. So, uh, uh, how can that be translated? Uh, uh, some very again, people are doing brilliant research now. The neuroscientists, the 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 uh, this research comes from Israel that the ideal learning time, ideal, fifteen minutes. No longer. So the whole idea that you take somebody and drill them for two hours or an hour and a half to get them to learn is faulty. Sitting a kid by a desk that has a hard time figuring out the alphabet and making them rewrite a sentence or a word 500 times, by the way, that ensures turning off the learning switch, and and thinking that somehow by forcing them to do it, you're getting them better is a huge mistake. What they learn at that time is that they're idiots or stupid. They learn to hate school, and they probably will, will hate reading and writing. So 
They learn, but not that, what you want. So you turn off the learning switch. Ideal learning time, 15 minutes. We, when we have the distinction of learning, this kind of organic learning, you call it unconscious, I call it organic learning, so it's not learning of facts, it's learning that changes you, who you are, how you do, what you do. This kind of organic learning has a feeling that comes with it. And we know when we learn and we know when we don't. So it's very important to be attentive if you want to learn to get yourself into the internally the conditions and the zone that turns on the switch. And the more you do it, the better learner you become because you learn to learn. Learning is also a skill. Mm-hmm. So some say, people, yeah, go ahead. I like that you talked about kind of developing a perceptual framework, if you will, because for us, in order to kind of see differences, we need to have that perceptual framework to see the difference between the color red or green or, or you know, whatever it may be. Uh, can you expand upon that a little bit, uh, kind of uh, the perceptual uh, seeing the perception of differences. Yeah, yeah. The per- exactly. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I think I'll start by maybe a, a, I'm thinking of a, a, a good example. Let, let me take an example of a, a really high performer. She she was a principal dancer in a very very famous uh, dance troupe in the United States. I don't want to you know I want to keep it anonymous, but very well known. If I said the name, you'd know the name. And she she was uh, into her career. She was very established. And she came to me. And the, the thing about her was there is this movement that uh, classical dancers and also contemporary dancers do a lot, which is standing on one leg and lifting the other leg behind, you know, up mm-hmm. in the air, right? You can visualize mm-hmm. that? Okay, so that's a typical dance. Uh, I mean... Uh, classical or contemporary or modern dance move. She, When she stood on her a, a, a right leg, the left leg lifted really well. When she stood on the left leg, the right leg lifted about two-thirds the height of the left one, right? And she's been practicing in the, you know, for years and years and years, and she just could not make it any better. And what, so I watched her do it, And I saw right away that the way she used her lower back lifting the left leg was very different than the way she used her the lower back on that when she lifted the other leg. So I did a very very simple movement. I won't describe the whole thing, but I I I had her lift the leg the good leg first. By the way, that's one way to accelerate learning is start by doing something you're already doing well. Always start Mm -hmm. with what you're doing well and move from there to what is more challenging and back to what you do well and back to what's more challenging. It will accelerate the learning enormously. Anyway, so I had her lift the leg and supported it so she didn't have to hold it, and I had her do certain movements with her back and her spine. I won't describe it in details. And I had her feel how she does this movement. She's never done it before. She's never associated her lower lower back to what she does with her leg. And then I I said, fine, and then I had her lift the other leg, not as high as she could, but just a little bit, and I supported it. And then I had her do the same sequence of movements with the lower back and the head, and she could feel the difference. So I went back to the easy leg, then I went back to the... 
And she figured out how to move her back because she felt the difference between the right side and the left side. And then I had her lift the left leg. It lifted actually better than usual. Then I had her lift the right leg. It lifted as well. It was done. Finished. Ten minutes. It was funny, her reaction, because she she was almost disturbed because she spent so many years yanking in that poor right leg and trying to lift it higher and lift it higher. And... It was just how she was doing it, but her brain had no new information. There was no comparison. There was nothing that she it could work with. So it just did what it could do, which is what it already knew, which was the pattern she had. Mm-hmm. Does that make so, sense? Yeah, she, so she's, using, she's moving with an attention uh, as opposed to kind of using force as, as a way to achieve yeah, the outcome but, she's looking for. Yeah, but also I made a comparison. I also had her do where she did it well, feel what she... I knew it was associated with her lower back. That's where my expertise comes in. But I had her do certain movements with her lower back. Then I had her do it, the same movements with the lower back, but when the other leg was in the air. And the back Mm -hmm. didn't move the same way. And once she could perceive, she moved with attention, you're absolutely right, and she could perceive the difference between when she did it on one side and the other, the brain spontaneously reorganized how she did it on the lesser side, and then she could do it as well. Right, and made a new connection for her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, tons of new connections, yeah. Let me yeah. give you another example that comes from research. Not, I mean, I, I work with it in different ways, but very often Japanese people have a hard time. Say They say L, but they have a hard time saying R, correct? Mm-hmm. You know that? Yeah, so they... why? I mean, they're smart, they're brilliant, they talk Japanese and English, they don't hear the difference. They simply don't hear the difference. When it comes to their brain, it funnels into as if it's the same sound. So we can hear the difference, but they don't. Now, what happens is these two researchers figured it out. So they took a group of, uh, I think it was Japanese businessmen or something, and they... they in, increased the difference in the way the L sounded and the R sounded. So when if I were on the phone now dictating my name, I'd say R like Robert, L like Lollipop, because you wouldn't be sure. Maybe I'm saying L, maybe I'm saying R, right? So they just made the R and the L sound more and more different until they could hear the difference, each one individually, but until the person could hear the difference. Once they could hear the difference, because they exaggerated the sound of L and they exaggerated the sound of R enough, they started gradually bringing it closer and closer until they could do it. And they learned to the difference between L and R in an hour and a half. Now, my contention is if I also added to it movement with attention and some variation, more variation and slowing down and reducing the force, it probably would have taken 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But this is how it works. You, the, the brain is a system that can get more and more potent or less and less potent. It depends what we right. do with it. Yeah. And it, and it kind of depends how we're feeding that and, and how in your, in your work and in your life, how do you kind of continuously feed the brain and feed the mind to uh, form new connections and, and those types of things? Okay. So I'll give you examples of what I do. I do movement and my own movement work with a lot of attention to what I feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I do new things, you know, new configurations of movement, a, a new, you know, and a lot of the movements that I do initially, I do them 
lying down on a mat, on a carpet where it's very co- comfortable and safe. And lying down is a great way to to explore and experiment because you take away the pull of, I mean, you don't take away the pull of gravity. The pull of gravity is always there, but you take away the requirement to manage balance and to right. manage standing up. That that uh, takes a lot takes up a lot of the brain uh, attention work. A lot of the brain gets engaged with keeping us uh, upright. So sitting or lying is a great way to begin. But even so, let me give you an example because I, I you know people can't invent that on their own. But let's say you, you do yoga. Many many people practice yoga. And and many people, by the way, give up because it's too hard because they try to get into the pose and they just try to get into the pose. And if they don't know how to do it and they try to stretch, people very often injure themselves. So you take a yoga pose, like maybe sitting and twisting around yourself and putting one foot standing. Let's just make that one up. Take that one as an example. And, And instead of just going and twisting as far as you can and putting the foot standing and so on, instead of that, you go and you twist a little bit. Not as far as you can. Remember, you don't force. You go slow because fast we can only do what we already know. The reason right. is that when we go fast, the brain has no choice but to use existing patterns. Mm-hmm. It's the only reliable thing. And the very, very, very very first most important thing for our bio- biological system is to survive and to stay safe. So if we do things fast, we only... It's built that we only do what we already know. So change doesn't happen with fast action. It just doesn't. People sometimes think, but it's it's a big mistake. So we slow down. And let's say you take this moment, you start twisting. And you say, okay. And you do it gentle. Remember, you don't force. And you pay attention to what you feel in your hips, in your spine, in your knees, in your ankles. Not just what hurts, but what you feel throughout yourself, Right. And if anything hurts, you go, you back off. You do a little less. And then you say, okay, now let me do it with looking with my eyes down. Now let me look, do it with looking up. Let me do it by turning my head one way. Let me do it by turning my Let me do it when my right hand is over here, then a little bit over there. Let me do it uh, uh, lying down and putting my feet against the wall as if I'm sitting up. Let me do it. And you do this movement, four or five different variations of the same movement, small, slow, a gentle paying attention to what you feel, I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you that you'll sit and try to do the pose and you'll have a minimum of 30% improvement. That's that's mm-hmm. just an example. You're a runner, same story. You're a golfer, same story. Everybody tries to have the perf- perfect golf, you know, stro- the, I don't know what it's called, but to swing. hit the perfect <laughs> swing. Golf the perfect swing, yeah. swing. Thank you for helping me. The perfect swing. Well, if you just swing and swing and swing and swing, you're going to be more or less where you are right now. You're not going to get a whole lot better. But if you stop trying to swing well, that's another one of my essentials. It's called flexible goals. You 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 really approach your goals in a very flexible, reversible way, and you don't try to reach the final outcome up front. It's a crazy thing to do. The biggest accomplishments of every human being are accomplished not reaching the goal right away. Standing, walking, talking, music, mathematics. According to the people who try to do it right from the from the start, 
babies should be doing it all once they come out of their mother's uh, belly. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> what? Yeah, that'd be a picture. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a picture, right? It'll be terrifying, right? This little thing dominating the yeah. world. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so, anyway, so. You, you, you. I, I've worked with you know golfers before, and one of the first things I first of all I take the the take them away from the game, and I have them do certain movements away, so they because people get so obsessive and so locked in that their brain can go nowhere. Their learning switch is zero, you know, and zero, <laughs> right. and they're just like tight and fearful, and it's. It's hard to watch and it's not useful. But then, when I give them a, 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 the golf, I forgot the word, the thing swing. you hit with the, the not swing. the swing, the sorry, not swing, not the, the the actual metal thing, the oh club, the club, sorry, yeah. the swing and the club. When I give them the club. I have them do small movements. I have them put the hands in reverse. I have them lie on their back and swing with the the club towards the, the sky because it reverses the relationship to gravity. So it's a whole new set of very different. You see, I create differences and lots of new information. I have them move the head one way, another way. I have them round their back. I have them arch their back. I have them do it wrong. You know, one of the things I tell people, do what you want to do better badly in four different ways first. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do something better, first of all, do it badly in four different ways and then go and see if you're doing it better. And you will, always. Mm-hmm. People are f- fearful. Say, so, oh my God, I'll learn right. to do it badly. I said, no, 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 no. What you'll do is you'll you'll start perceiving differences. The reason you're not improve, improving because your brain is on information starvation. So you need to. It's it's very different. What I do is very different, and it requires a very different, what I call actually an enlightened approach to ourselves. So we stop beating us ourselves up like we were mules, but really take advantage of the, you know, enormous potential and intelligence in our brain. Right. And it sounds very counterintuitive, but really, uh, the I think part of it, too, is kind of the fear of failure, you know. What do you mean, you know, uh, swing four times and, you know, completely, you know, not succeed? Uh, you know, it's like we get locked into this focused pattern and we want to just keep going down that route because that's what we're used to when really um, the expansion and the growth and the kind of evolution of whatever we're trying to do comes when we're fluid, when we're flexible, and when we are moving with attention. Uh, so if, if you kind of step back a little bit, I think it, it does make a lot of sense. It's just kind of counterintuitive at first. Uh, I like how you talk about, and you've mentioned several times, uh, the, the kind of concept of reducing force. Because in your book, you talked about uh, use, the use of excessive force and how it uh, blunts uh, physical vitality and, and mental vitality. And you kind of touched on that earlier with, with children and, and how if you want them to learn something, uh, parents and adults will typically try to force it upon them. So uh, kind of applying to adults but to children as well, uh, how can we kind of step-by-step reduce force and what do we increase in order to kind of balance that out in our lives? 
Well, you don't have to increase any way, anything. It'll increase by itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just have to... Well, you know, it's it, it, it comes to what you said uh, just uh, now about it being counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive. It's it's also it's you see it requires a, a certain um, almost like mindfulness. It's like wisdom. It's like you don't let your reflexive uh, reactions or reactivity dominate what you do. So when you try to swing, have a better swing in golf, and it doesn't work and you feel disappointed, and you feel maybe a little embarrassed if people are around you, or you feel a bit fearful that you'll never figure it out, or your muscles are going to tighten up. That's You have no control over that. That is how we react. But then, that's where my final essential comes in. You become aware of it. You say, oh my goodness, all my muscles just got tight. Now let's see, and I'm, I'm, you know, my grip on my club is, is like I'm going to break this either my hand or the club, you know. So, and you say, okay, let's see what happens, and then you give yourself permission. You create space. You, this is a mindful, intelligent, intentional. That's where the intention needs to come. You have to intend to do it. You have to decide you want to experiment, and. What are you going to lose? I mean, you experiment and it didn't help. Okay, five, ten minutes have passed. I mean, you've already spent hours of not getting better. So <laughs> take take the risk. Right. So so you and you say, can I do it with less force? And and you say, and now let me do it with more force and with less force. And then now let me do more force, just gripping with my right hand and not the left. And now the left hand and not the right. And now let me clench my teeth and see if that makes me a better player. I mean, trust me, it won't. And and you know, and, but but it's good because you feel the differences. It's not about tricking yourself to do better. It's about genuine exploration and genuine perception of differences because that's what the brain needs. It's not like, oh, now I, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to trick myself into doing it right. You don't know how to do it right. If you knew how to do it right, you'd be doing it already. You have no clue how to do it right, and you have to feel and exp- experience your way into it. So, so in repetition and repetition and repetition of the same thing only will groove in more deeply and will make it more automatic what you already are doing that you are wanting to do better. That means mm-hmm. it will reduce your chances of doing it better. So you do what you do. You have to start somewhere. Then you use some of those tools. You reduce the effort. It's literally reducing the effort. And I like how you asked it because, you know, I teach very, I've taught now thousands, tens of thousands of people. And I tell the group, I have large groups, and I say, move slower and reduce the effort. And at least People now do better with that. I mean, it's sort of like human consciousness is shifting. But still, I look at people and they're going like, oh, you know, and pulling. And I go like, yeah. say, now whatever you're doing, use half the force. Now whatever you're doing now, use half the force. And I take them two, three, four increments like that. Of course, nobody knows what half the force is, but it means less. Right? And now do half of that. Now do half of that. And then when they get there, I say, now that's called reducing the force. 
So I help them discover what it feels like using less force. It's just something mm-hmm. that you have to know. I train people. We also move people, whole, you know, using our hands. We move, we move them. A huge, huge part of the training, and the professional training is two years. It's not a weekend, right? People dedicate their life to it. I mean, they dedicate two years and then to work with kids another whole year. But to 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 use um, a big, big part of the training is to get them that by the not just by the end, but from segment to segment, from two months to two months, their the way they touch is completely different, and in. It's not just that the person that's being touched becomes more sensitive to themselves, but that the person that is touching can feel a lot more what's going on with the person that they're touching. So if you think about lovemaking, how much would you like somebody to touch you like as if they're, you know, a pancake that falls on your body, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like plop and, <laughs> and and not because you can't know, you can't feel you reduce your sensitivity when the effort grows. So you're not sensitive. You don't get the information what's happening with the other person. Who wants a lover that doesn't know what's happening with you, right? right. Who wants somebody that will dance with you? So so that's the that's kind of like a, from golf to lovemaking. But, you know, it's it's really across the board. But it requires, and you said it earlier, it requires a, 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 an interest and an intention to do it because everything in ourselves, every fiber in our brain, wants to do what it has already done before. Change is unsettling. You take a risk because what you've done up until now, you already know. Even if you're a bit miserable and even if your back hurts you a little bit and even if you're... you're friend got mad at you yesterday and even you know you you know you survived you you've come this far so your brain says don't change anything i mean the brain of course says nothing but it's built like it says don't change we survived we don't want anything different we're fine we're Mm -hmm. fine we don't want anything different and you look around and say wait a minute i think i can do better than this and it goes Mm -hmm. no 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 just do the same thing talk the same way call the same people think the same thoughts we're fine we're fine (laughs) And then you say, I'm going to experiment. And the moment you do this, because what the essentials are a form of very intentional mechanisms of experimentation, the moment you experiment, your brain goes, okay, I'll do it better. I'll do it differently. Sure, I have information. I'm happy. So it's kind of like the between aging and loss of vitality and kind of rigidity and automaticity, and all that we know that life can be really miserable, mm-hmm. and vitality, and discovery, and success, and energy, is is that more, is, and we need both. We need habits, by the way, David. We couldn't live without habits. So we need habits. But we need to be able to open the conversation and move around our own habits and create new things uh, when we need it. Sure. So so you have both directions, the habit direction and the creating and the invention and the waking up the brain. And the essentials, movement with attention to what you feel, creating variations. Another way of saying it is being playful around something. Or another way of saying the same thing is make intentional mistakes. Do it wrong. Do it badly on purpose. I teach children who nobody can teach them to write. 
I get them to start writing by teaching, by getting them to do it badly. Hmm. The last one I did it as kids, uh, eight-year-old on the autism spectrum, never mind the specifics, <laughs> but they tried to, you know, make him do it right in between the lines and all that kind of stuff. And I got him to do to write the letter badly and then make sure to do it outside of the lines. He looked at me and he said, you're kidding me. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. I'm darn serious. You cannot write this letter between the lines. The, the task now is to write, I mean, inside the lines. The task is that part of the letter is going to be out. He got so happy. It was like a bird <laughs> out of a cage. And yeah. he looked at me, and then he went into almost a trance, because in order to have the letter not in between the lines, he had to visualize between the lines. You understand? So it's kind of yeah. a dirty trick. So I got him to feel the difference between out and not out. Everybody before, just I told him, do it here, do it here, do it here, do it correctly, do it correctly. He didn't see it. He just didn't see it. He didn't know what he was wanted of him. So that is, but it takes, it's not easy, and especially when we are adults, there's a lot of comfort in, in the habitual. And, you know, I want to turn my news on every night. I want to know what happened that day in the world. And when I don't, I feel a certain degree of discomfort. So you ask me, what do I do to, to keep myself awake? So one or two days of that, I ignored it. and I, But then on the third day, because I couldn't turn the TV, I couldn't, I didn't have time to watch the news. Doesn't matter. And I, I looked and I said, Anat, stop cheating yourself. You better be okay with not watching the news. So I started me- messing around with that. Yes, watch, not watch. Be okay this way, not be okay that way. Find the news another way. Not care whether I get the news. I thought I cannot become like one of those people that just has to watch the news at five every day on the same station, hear people saying the exact same opinions over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, so you're right wing, you're left wing, you're this, you're that. Anyway, so so that's how I do it. I do the same thing with movement. I love hiking. Hiking is a big deal for me. I enjoy it enormously. But then, you know, so I just take the, the trails I walk. They're really easy. My car knows to go to the further trail and out my front door the other one. I'm busy. I'm very busy. You know, so I just, so easy for me to do the habitual. From time to time, I go like, okay, we're taking another trail. Our brain is starting to die. <laughs> you know, I talk to yeah. people. <laughs> uh, you know, my daughter, she's in college, right? So, and I have certain ways of communicating with her, and certain, and I really intentionally work on myself to text her and how I text and then call and then email and then leave her alone and then this. And it's not manipulation. It's sort of giving more freedom and finding the ways that work best for us to stay in communication. And I, she's my best teacher ever because whenever I do my essentials, she likes me a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> she does. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she does. I mean, yeah, so... So this is a, and and by the way, uh, people, if you know, they come to my website, they can, you know, there's lots of links and free lessons, lots of stuff. If they just uh, YouTube, you know, Anat Baniel, there's enormous amount of material out there online. I think that's how you found me, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, So people can do do things for free. You know, they don't have to pay money for right away if they don't want to. Yeah, and me personally, I loved your book, and I'd recommend your book to my listeners because what I liked about it was that 
Uh, well, first of all, I mean, all of us have habits that, you know, benefit our lives and really add value to our lives. And then we have the habits that we know are kind of hampering our success or uh, our greatness in one way or another, where, whether it's in our personal lives or professional lives. And I think the nine essentials really help to kind of unlock our ability to uh, rewire our brains to create more beneficial habits. So I really liked how the it's 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 simple. It's not too complex, and it allows the reader to uh, use that information to to apply it directly to their life right away. Um, so it's very very. Uh, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Yeah, you uh, might want to mention the name of the book. <laughs> yeah, move into life, and uh, uh, I will definitely. I'll put the link in the show notes as well uh, to oh, the book and you. to your website. Um, so w- our our listeners can find you at anatbanielmethod.com, correct? Yes, anatbaniel with a B, baby, anatbanielmethod.com. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you, David. Thank you so much, and thanks for you know doing what you're doing in the world. I think it's important. What's your profession? What's your background? Just tell me in one word. Uh, well, I mean, I do, I do the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast, um, but I, I write books on health and wellness and that kind of stuff, too. So oh, great. It's, it's kind of a range of things. So, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for the work you're doing and bringing to thank, the world. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have an awesome rest of the day. Oh, all right. yeah. And one question. I don't know if you, if I can ask you a question or should we do it offline. Uh, is a is there a way to certainly get a link to the recording so I can also put it up on my website because my and put it through we have lots of people on Facebook and so on. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll send you. I'll, I'll email you. Email it to La, to Lara, okay? Yeah, I'll to do my that. assistant. Yeah, I will. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so bye much. Bye. 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 And we will wrap the show with that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you aren't already subscribed, go to iTunes and type in Healthy, Wild, and Free. And once you find the Healthy, Wild, and Free under Podcasts, click Subscribe, and you'll be updated with future podcasts there. Uh, every interview I do, you'll just be updated. And if you could, please leave a five-star review, preferably five-star. If you think it's a five-star podcast, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, and just write a little uh, excerpt there for other listeners to kind of tune in. So thanks a lot for your time. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hope you're benefiting from this information, and I will see you in the next interview. Bye.